What's up, everybody? It's Travis McKenzie here again with another special edition of the Inner Voice podcast. Today's guest on the show from the I'm Curious to Know project is Charlie Engel, and Charlie appeared on episode 28 of the Inner Voice podcast. Charlie is someone that I consider a friend. I look up to Charlie, and I admire him for his work ethic, his ambition, and his positivity. When he told me a couple of weeks ago that he and his wife had tested positive for COVID-19, it didn't really sink in. We are all in the grips of this global pandemic. However, unless you're directly impacted, it still may feel like you're removed from it. It's the thing that happens to someone else. That changed for me during this conversation. When I looked into Charlie's eyes, I saw the pain and the toll the virus has taken on him. He described in detail what it was like to drop off his wife at the emergency room, wondering if he'd ever see her again. Charlie, I applaud you for your vulnerability, your authenticity, and as always, showing up for those you care about. This is a conversation that makes me really proud of the work we're doing with Inner Voice and the fact we can bring these human stories to life. I hope you enjoy the show. Charlie, we're on. How are you, mate? Hey, I'm just talking to my wife because she's oh. the one that understands technology in this house. I, I love it. This is um this is perfect because this is day three uh, and I'm yet to perfect how this all rolls out and works. Um, first day we had audio issues. Issue. Second day we, yesterday was pretty good. Uh, today we did a little pre-show over on Instagram. So we're 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 making the best of it. And one thing that I equate this to, Charlie, is is training for a race or training for an event. You're not going to have perfect workouts every day, but by the time you get there, the whole journey uh, equates to being better than when you first started. Well, it's like a, it's like any startup. I'd, I'd rather be involved on the ground floor and later on look back and say, hey, you remember when we were like the first <laughs> ones to do this thing? <laughs> it's anybody uh, can it. jump in when everything's figured out, right? Exactly. Uh, well, the thing that I also thought about as well is this is probably a voice in my head, like everyone's doing live, like whatever, big deal. Like, who are you to do it? I also think that what better time to do it when everyone else is doing it. So you, you can you can screw up a little bit. You can try some things. You can change it up. You can mix it up. So um, and it's fun. I get to have conversations with amazing people like you. You and I have had some really amazing conversations in the past. In fact, we, we shared one on the on the Inner Voice podcast we covered a lot of ground in that conversation. Um, so if anyone wants to kind of get a bit of backstory and a bit of background, please go and, and and take a listen and take a look at that. But today there's some updates. There's some things that I, you know, I really want to learn. Uh, I'll let you kind of announce what's been happening in the household for you. You know, I'm really interested to kind of dig in and, and learn more about what you guys are, have been dealing with over there. Yeah, I appreciate that, Trav. I'm, um, you know, it's interesting when you and I first met at a at a 29029 event and got a chance to have some chats there. I I knew that we would have many more, and it's been a crazy time, as you know. I was scheduled earlier this year to head to Australia for a big adventure, and for a variety of reasons, it actually was supposed to happen in January, and it's interesting that it didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, in hindsight, I certainly wish it had because. You know, I probably could have pulled it off. Once it got pushed a little bit and the whole world changed, you know, that adventure is still waiting to happen for me. And it's it's something that I hope you still get a chance to either either come with me or I connect with some of your uh, crazy friends over there and, and make it happen. But I say all that is because I, I'm always in the training mode. Like there's never mm-hmm. a time in general when I'm not training, depending upon what I have coming up that's what determines the level of training 
that I'm doing. I mean, I think that makes sense for anyone. I'm a very instinctive trainer. I'm not a, I'm not a guy that always has a schedule that tells me what to do every day. I, I know if I'm preparing, let's say for bad water, you know, I know that I need a certain number of long runs, I, but I'm not going to put them on the schedule because I don't know how I'm going to feel two weeks from today, you know, yeah. to plan this long run. And so for me, it's more important to take each day and be building towards something. So that's what I've been doing with Australia. As I've been saying, okay, I've got 1,500 or so miles that I have to cover. Um, a lot of it's going to be on foot, some of it on a bike, and I have a general sense of what I have to do. And that's the way I've been thinking. And I still think that way because as soon as I am safely able to travel and it makes sense, not only for me personally, but for the planet and for everyone else involved, you know, I'm going to go. So that's yeah. what was happening about um, a month or so ago when I woke up one day and I went out for a run, my normal run. and my stomach was bothering me. My stomach was just a mess. I have a weird reputation for a lot of things. <laughs> some of them good, some of them not so great. But one of them is, is kind of having an iron gut. I'm that guy normally in a race or whatever else. I can eat anything. I can, you know, nothing, nothing bothers me. And I was just really having a lot of stomach upset and a headache accompanying that. And I didn't think that much of it. There was a ton of pollen yeah. on the ground. I'm not really a, an allergy guy for the most part, but I also learned that kind of thing changes as you get older. And just because you didn't used to have allergies doesn't mean that you can't have a reaction. So anyway, I was just coming up with all the reasons I might be feeling bad. A couple of days later, all of a sudden, my wife had the same symptoms. Um, a little backstory, you know, my wife, is a multiple time cancer survivor, former professional beach volleyball player, really high end athlete. She's, she's younger than me by a bit. And, you know, she's had her fair share of health issues through the years. And so we had been being very careful. Like I'm the guy that in the beginning of March was already in the grocery store wearing a mask and gloves and like nobody else was. I was the only one in there and people looked at me like I was crazy. And like, but I was being safe because it's very important that she stays safe. Regardless of all of that, just to cut to the chase, we both became sick. I suspected pretty early on that it was COVID-19 based on the symptoms. My symptoms were fairly mild, stomach upset, headache, a few other small things. Hers were much more severe pretty much all of the symptoms that you read about uh, yeah. and hear about, um, including some tightness in the chest and some trouble breathing and actual tenderness to the touch. So we talked to her doctors, we were in regular contact with them. And to be blunt, we're not the kind of people like emergency rooms and hospitals, which my wife has spent a lot of time in in her life, are places where certainly there's tons of need all the time, yeah. but it's also a place that someone with an immunosuppression yeah, you don't problem, want to be there. Yeah, you don't want to be there unless you absolutely yeah. have to be. We stayed at home. We knew what we were doing, you know, resting, hydrating, yeah. eating well, doing the best we could, just dealing with the symptoms. That all culminated in last Thursday, just four days ago, uh, waking up and her breathing had taken a significant turn for the worst. We got onto a voice, a video call with her doctor. She did. And the doctor pretty much within a minute said, you need to head to the emergency room right now. 
you know, and that's what we did. You and I had kind of talked a lot, uh, you know, in the beginning of March, I shared a story of how I came back from a, a traveling, you know, I'd been b- business travel. Um, I was experiencing the symptoms of what, you know, classic, what they were talking about early on. So I called my doctor and said, you know, here's what I'm experiencing. They told me to go to the emergency room. And because I was so early on in the in the process, they wouldn't test me. I hadn't been to mainland China. I hadn't had direct contact with anyone that I knew had had COVID-19. So they just sent me home and said, if your family's with you, send them elsewhere or, or kind of isolate yourself. So that was kind of my experience. And it took me four weeks to feel back to normal as far as energy wise. And who knows what I had or, you know, whether I had it or not. But you're the second person that I've ever, ever heard of that has had it. I want to know what it was like for you when you kind of had that initial diagnosis because as you mentioned you were super safe right from the start you were gloves and mask as you mentioned you were wiping we, we joked about wiping down all the groceries as they came in the house yeah. uh, so like what was that like for you when you first had that diagnosis yeah i mean it was i was pissed off actually <laughs> yeah. i mean not not at anything or anyone i was actually incredulous you know because i'm like mm-hmm. how can this possibly be like we have been the safest we could possibly, I mean, there's no way we could be any safer. I console myself with, I guess, the unknowns in this because nobody mm-hmm. knows. You know, I did attend a really big conference with 300 like medical personnel from all over the country right at the very end of February. February 28 yeah. is when it ended. And again, nobody truly knows kind of the actual incubation period for different people. I mean, there's not, there's no set answer. I mean, I'm sort of grasping at straws here. It's unlikely that I was sick all the way back then, but it's also not impossible. Like they're finding people every day now where it's taken at least six weeks or more to clear their system. When it was just me, I really just didn't buy it. And like you said, I actually couldn't get tested. Once my wife got sick, we finally called, we called ERs, we called state hotlines here in North Carolina. We call yeah. Meanwhile, you watch the national press, and I don't want to get all political, but you're watching the powers that be saying that, all oh, testing is easy to get. You can get easy. it anywhere. Yeah. And that yeah. was just total BS. And I've not met one person that has said that testing was easy to get. That's just a line for the politicians. We could not get tested, even with my wife's very, very significant underlying conditions and really putting her in great danger. We still couldn't get yeah. tested. The only way to do it was to go to the ER, and we weren't going to do it. Because we just presumed that we had it. Here's the other weird thing is, once you presume you have it, too, then what do you do when you get the grocery order? It's yeah. like, do you still wipe everything down? I mean, I did. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I still do. And when I go out, I'm still wearing a mask. And when I'm, I'm still, well, and I'm doing that as much as anything for other people now. You know, I'll tell you just briefly about the, the experience the other day in the emergency room, because I think it's important. We had a fair amount of confidence going over what it was like two or three weeks ago, even, because then you were hearing about nothing but emergency rooms that were overrun and like all this craziness going on. You know, the medical folks in this country have done an amazing job. It's even if it's disconnected and disparate all over the country, it's not the same anywhere. We knew that if we went to one of a couple of hospitals in the UNC Chapel Hill, North Carolina Chapel Hill system, we knew what we'd find. So we drive up. There's nobody in front of us. I get out of the car. There's a person there who comes out to greet us, and she's a nurse, full gear on. 
she asked me a few questions, you know, from a safe distance, I'm wearing a mask. Very quickly, she says, yes, you know, your wife needs to come in now because the breathing problems were really the main, the main thing. And so my wife gets out of the car, she goes in, somebody else is pulled in behind me and I'm a little like just flustered and I get back in my car and I drive away. I parked the car in the, in the lot. I sit there for a minute and I realize like my head goes to all the stories we've seen on television of people yeah. never seeing their loved one again. And I mean, I'm not, yeah. the, I'm not a catastrophizing person normally. I'm not usually looking at the worst case scenario. I'm looking at the best, but yeah. I couldn't help it. And I sat there for a while before I heard from her and she had her phone and was able to text me and, and she knows me well enough. And she started to give me sort of a play by play of what was happening. It gave me comfort all the way up until about 20 minutes into it when she texted me that the person two beds down from her just died. The machines all went off. She still doesn't know there were curtains, but she doesn't know. She heard sobbing and it was clear that this person had passed and she doesn't know if there was an actual family member or if it was a nurse, you know, because these yeah. nurses and doctors are right there helplessly watching people suffer and die. So it yeah. was a it was oh. a traumatic day for us. I've got goosebumps hearing that story because this has obviously been headlines and been news and and everyone's talking about it. But it still it still feels like it's happening to everyone else. It still mm. feels like it's happening off in a faraway place, even if you've got a third degree connection who's gone through it or you know hearing your story. That's the first time I've heard it really spoken like that. I've read it a million times, as you said. I can only imagine what your wife is was thinking at that moment, given her history, given everything that she was dealing with in that moment, and to kind of have the wherewithal to hear and understand what was happening two beds down, and then to wonder, is that my fate? Is yeah. that what's coming my way? Because of what she's gone through, and by the way, it's, it's, she doesn't mind me sharing. I mean, she's had lymphoma multiple times, and it's, it is a miracle that she's with us these days and she's also a scientist you know there's two sides to her you know she looks at everything as huh isn't that interesting i wonder how this works and i yeah. wonder what's happening and because she knows health and the human body and understands viruses better than just about anyone who's not an actual doctor or a virologist i never sensed any fear from her her job was clearly to stop me from panicking she did a very smart thing it was my job to keep everyone else informed so her family a few other folks so i sat out in the parking lot for hours actually you know texting other people and sort of keeping yeah. people in the loop and it kept me busy and out of my out of the fear-based part of my brain. Selfishly, I did not want her to stay. I did not want them to admit her. And mm -hmm. um, in truth, she, she told me that she overheard a conversation between her main nurse and the doctor treating her, and they were actually having an argument, like an actual, not like a yelling argument, a yeah. debate yeah. Yeah. about whether she should be admitted or not. The issue was her underlying conditions because the, you know, the nurse really felt strongly she should be admitted based on her symptoms and just everything else. And the doctor felt like that, yes, while she was right there on the edge of really needing, you know, help, that admitting her brought in so many other possibilities of danger mm -hmm. and infections and yeah. You know, if you if you are a person who gets a ventilator and you're intubated, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for infection and a lot of yeah. really 
bad side effects and issues. If you reach the point in your breathing where that's necessary, then obviously it's necessary. Mm -hmm. um, she was able to get oxygen for several hours. She got a, a steroid to reduce inflammation, another heavy duty anti-inflammatory to bring down inflammation in her lungs. They did do an x-ray and that was the thing that sort of tipped the scale to not being admitted because the x-ray did not show that she had pneumonia. And pneumonia is right. really the, you know, this COVID pneumonia is the, that's the tipping point for sure. If you reach the point where you have that, you need to be admitted. And yeah. whether you go on a ventilator or not is a minute by minute decision. But she texts me, she's like, okay, they're not going to admit me. And I bet uh, 10 minutes later, which never happens in a hospital, 10 minutes yeah. later, she's coming out the door again. She's already. out. Yeah, which was which was actually great. And she has um, an inhaler that she uses several times a day. Everybody's inundated with this. But to be clear, this is a respiratory illness. This is a respiratory virus. And while it affects so many things and we hear all the symptoms and all that, yeah. the, the part that is killing people is is around being able to breathe, basically, yeah. and to have an yeah. infection in their lungs. First question. You're a caring guy. You care about people. I know that about you. How helpless did you feel sitting in the car not being able to be there with her? Because I know I can put myself in your position and someone I love and care about that deeply is in a situation where they could use me and I can, I can do nothing about it. I would be heartbroken. I want to hear like how that was for, for you sitting in that car feeling so helpless. Yeah, that's actually, that hits me hard. I'll answer uh, almost more philosophically than directly because I, I do believe that how we, my wife and I have an amazing relationship and we have a very strong, you know, love affair. I'm not perfect. I'm busy and I got a million things going on in my life. And sometimes I realize I go through an entire day and I've hardly like made eye contact. I've yeah. hardly been present, but you know, we both know, uh, while I would rather have been standing in there holding her hand, I was holding her hand. It's my belief, like you can't make up for all the past ills in a moment, even if you are standing there. You have to yeah. build up that, that tolerance. You have to build up. I always say, everybody, everybody knows that I'm clean and sober. Almost all of my things around recovery and addiction recovery, 99% of my efforts are for that 1% of the time when things are really difficult and when maybe I want to have a drink or I want to do a drug or things just aren't good. Like I'm preparing yeah. the rest of the time for that very brief time when bad shit is happening and I need to have all the strength I can have. And that's what this was like. We are incredibly close and loving. And she, what she knows as, as, as difficult as I can be sometimes and as inattentive as I can be or, or distracted is a better way to say it. What she knows is she can count on me. I'm yeah. like a, another, a person knows that about you or not. And yeah. so even sitting out there in the car, she actually knew for sure that, like, I don't know, if some other crazy, if, if we were attacked by gunboats and helicopters, like, I would have broken into the hospital and gotten her out and carried her back. Like, she knows. Just like that, the like, movies. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm never going to leave her there. Like, that's yeah. not going to happen no matter what goes on. I'm going to mm -hmm. find a way. And 
you know, we can't control what, how all this unfolds. The beliefs that we create in everyday life are the ones that actually serve us when you don't know who you are until your life falls apart. And mm -hmm. we're in this phase now, even for people who aren't sick, everyone is suffering financially, their businesses, their whole lives are turned upside down and people are getting a little angry and impatient and they want it to go back to normal. What I get frustrated with around all of that, and this, this is still answering your question about how I felt sitting in the parking lot, you have to learn to have some acceptance. Acceptance doesn't mean that you're being rolled over or forced into something. Acceptance is this idea of, okay, here's the situation. How do I make the best out of it? Not how mm -hmm. do I force my will upon it mm -hmm. and force other people to change and see it the way I do. That's, that's again, why I'm pretty frustrated with, you know, with folks who I think there is a way for us to reopen. There's a way for us to be yeah. on top of this virus, but bringing hundreds or thousands of people together side by side with no masks is the dumbest idea I've ever heard or seen. We just have to be smart, and I've seen it up close and personal. Yeah, being smart is better than being strong. It makes me think about some of the things we've talked about before. Where you said, you know, you don't know how strong you are until you're really being tested or if life's fallen apart. What I kind of take from that is that's an opportunity for you to kind of reconfigure or recalibrate who you are and what's important to you and the perspective that you can have. And I think that all of us have had an opportunity to experience that because of this you and your wife now even more so like you guys probably you've gotten out of it to to some degree you're still well and truly in it i understand that but it's also this other another chance to recalibrate okay what is important what is perspective do i need to be chasing all of these things or can we be more present can you be more present so i, I get a sense that that's also been an opportunity that you're taking with both hands it's very much so. I mean, we look, we are, and I am mostly responsible for it, but we are a couple that occasionally bickers over no. stupid things, you know? No one does that. <laughs> you don't do that? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, you know, and, and, um, and it's not that we don't do that at all right now, but I've found it interesting that during this period of time where we are totally around each other all the time, I'm not traveling, I'm not, whatever. There's yeah. been the least amount of that probably ever in our relationship. And that goes back to being kind and to being um, understanding. And it's actually easier in some ways to not be understanding when you're living a normal life. If you can't find a way to be compassionate and understanding for your partner during this kind of time, then that, that is really an opportunity to reevaluate what's actually important and the direction you're heading. I've written like three books in my head. You know, I had this funny, I'll, I'll just, this is very brief. I won't go off on a long tangent, but so my mother was a writer. She died a few years ago and she was a gay activist, civil rights activist. Her archives are actually stored at Emory University in Atlanta. And she was a, just an amazing, crazy, completely out there lesbian woman who just like she just was all out all the time she made a ton of yeah. mistakes personally and professionally and every other way but she owned who she was for years i've been saying that i want to go dive into my mother's work because like she started keeping a journal when she was 10 years old 10 wow. years old and she kept the journal until she died well 
she had Alzheimer's. So until she couldn't keep the journal anymore in her 60s, she kept the journal for well over 50 years. And all of that is sitting there. And, you know, my mother wants me to see it. I know that. Yeah. And my point is, like, that's just one of, like, 12 massive projects that I've, at least for a short time on one day, said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do next. Yeah. And it's been, you and I have been talking. You know, it's a hard, yeah. it's hard. And I, the hardest thing that I have going on every single day is cutting myself slack on what I'm not accomplishing. Yeah. It's fair. I like we're experiencing it here, and I'm I'm not shy to say Lauren went back to work two weeks ago after a three month maternity leave, and we're two adults who have uh, extreme passion for our work and love for the work we get to do. We also have two kids; one's just turned three and a three month old, so they need constant attention. So it's this juggling act of, okay, who whose work takes precedent and you know Lauren's card is I make more money than you and my card is that's great I don't really have an answer for that so, okay go do work so it's uh, it's it's this juggling act of like how do we each follow our passions and each do the work that we're passionate about but also take care of our kids and so I, I totally get that like cutting slack and knowing that okay the work's going to be there tomorrow or whatever you're going to be doing is going to be there tomorrow I want to talk about the addiction part because I, I, I'm going to guess the answer Given all of the, I guess, the uncertainty and the the things that you've been going through, has there been a moment for you in this time where you're like, man, I would just love a cold beer or 12 or 15? Like, have you, does that happen often or is it kind of happened more so recently? So it's rare that I have thoughts of drinking and I will freely admit, so I'm, I'm, I'm still sick. I'm sick today, but not, my symptoms have always been fairly mild. It's really just stomach yep. upset. And I have a, some severe exhaustion, but I still have to get out every day. I have to get out and walk the neighborhood or go for a little run if I can. And yesterday I was out running and uh, very sluggishly. And I had a whole like five minute daydream about drinking, you know, and that's really wow. unusual for me because I don't normally take myself there. And what I, what it was, and my wife's actually listening in the next room. She's, I'm probably going to get quizzed about this later. But I was actually thinking, like, what would I do? What would I do if, like, six months from now, not only is this not better, I don't mean for me, I mean for everybody, for the world. If it's not only not better, it's actually, it's worse. And it's so much worse that, like, you know, the world economy has collapsed. I mean, I'm just, I'm, look, I was just, my brain just went off on a, a journey. And I thought to myself, I always think about my first sponsor many years ago, 27 years ago, and he would encourage me to think about worst case scenarios, even things like, heaven forbid, some harm coming to someone in my family, my kids, whatever. Would that make you drink? Like, how would you yeah. respond to that? And if you don't prepare your mind for what would I do if, then you're not doing yourself a service. And so... I didn't really do it voluntarily yesterday, but I did find myself thinking that what would I do if like the world really fell apart and I went on a little mental drinking binge and it was a little yeah. weird because I don't, yeah. I don't normally go that direction because I can see the end on any normal day. One yeah. beer is going to lead eventually to two and to 20 and to the same shit life that I had as an addict. And I'm, I'm able anytime to see where that path leads. Yeah, but if that if if the world is as we know it no longer exists, 
then does that change the rules somehow? Does that change how I think about it? The other interesting thing that's been happening, and it's definitely been happening to my wife, she is a vivid dreamer under any normal circumstance. She, I don't even understand it. Like she wakes up every single morning. If I listened, she could talk for two hours about the, the dreams dream. that she had. Like my brain doesn't work that way. I, I vaguely am like, yeah, I think I was in a tunnel and I tripped. It's like, <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> right. And, and yeah, yeah, like she can tell you where she was, who was there, all the different pieces. And it's the way her brain works. Both of our dreams have actually been far more vivid lately. For me, what that also means is I have what's commonly known in addiction as using dreams. So I have dreams where I am, I am absolutely drinking and I'm using drugs. Yeah. I will usually wake up with kind of a, a start in a, in a sweat or whatever. In early sobriety years ago, I would wake up in tears and yeah. because I was certain, absolutely certain that I had relapsed. And it would take me a few minutes to figure out where I was, that it didn't actually happen and have this immense sense of relief. And I think the yeah. other thing I'll say is if you are a sober person and you're not talking to somebody else who's sober, figure it out. You know, there's, there's hundreds now, thousands of meetings that are actually online. Yeah. You can still go to your AA meetings and it's not the same. We're a very, I'm a physical person. I, I go to an AA meeting. I'm probably hugging 30 people. I don't even know if that'll ever come back. I assume it will someday. The lack of touch is really difficult for all of us and for addicts mm -hmm. in particular, being disconnected is creating problems. If yeah. you know someone who's in recovery and you haven't talked to them, reach out and talk to them. You might send them the text or get them to answer the phone at the perfect time when something bad is going on. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, yeah. There's a lot of people suffering out there and we're all suffering where business is concerned and fears about certain things, but mental health issues are going crazy right now, no pun intended. Yeah. And it's only going to get worse even when this does clear up. I agree. I think that's one one of the things that I think about a lot is the people that are worse off than me and you and the people that are struggling, you know, with addiction or isolation or they are picking up those habits now because of so much stress and anxiety and the things they're going through and those mental health challenges they're going to go through. Whatever new normal we go back to, it's not going to be normal for a long, long time. So that is something that people need to be aware of. And I think you're right. Like, you know, I watch video, you watch movies now, you watch TV shows where people are high-fiving or they're hugging and I kind of cringe. I'm like, don't, don't, oh, and then you like, you realize you're like, oh, it's okay. It's not real. But Lauren and I talked about if they're rolling out things and opening up restaurants. And I was like, I don't know when I will feel good about going to a restaurant. Like it's going to take yeah. some time to feel comfortable to be around other people. Um, it's just the reality yeah. of it. You kind of get used to that. Like you're running past someone and everyone takes a wide berth. And it's just, yeah. I don't know, it's going to take a while. I think about things like, you know, sports, of course, because I'm a sports fanatic. You know, the main, the big sports, basketball, football, baseball, those kind of things. I mean, I, I, but Boston Marathon, New York Marathon, I, I can't yeah. actually envision the next time when 50,000 people will gather yeah. into corrals, you know, skin to skin, breath to breath, getting ready to take off and run. I mean, I just don't yeah. see that happening this year. You know, I know a lot of those race directors. I know, I know those people. I mean, obviously, well, see, I mean, again, it's crazy. How do you do it without testing? But, but the fact of the matter is I am all for, if they can figure it out, 
even if professional athletes are playing games, whether it's soccer or, you know, baseball, I don't care what it is, if they can play yeah. games, if there's a, if there's a test that can happen instantaneously or within the hour or whatever. And like, so yeah. before a game, everybody has to be tested and there's no audience in the stands. It's just on television, but it, it begins to get this back to some sort of, I think soccer would actually be the right sport simply because it's such a worldwide you know, it's yeah. truly the most popular sport in the world. And I, I look forward to smart people that aren't just doing it for the money or trying to figure out how we can gain that kind of thing back. It's almost like a futile effort. Like if the world's still burning, so yeah. to speak. No, you're right. Like why are, why are 12 guys and girls running around on a soccer field or playing a game of baseball in a closed stadium in Florida or Arizona? Like... No, that's a very good point. And I mean, I, I would say too that uh, to bring this back around to personal personal responsibility, but also, you know, because I, I, I don't want us to finish this conversation without some practical talk of what do I do? Like people mm -hmm. are out there, I think every single day and I'm, I'm lost. Every day I have a determination of certain things I'm going to get done. Some days I get some of them done. Most days I don't. Come the evening, I'm thinking about which you know, Netflix or Showtime series we're going to watch and, and all of that. But I do believe, and I've witnessed it personally, exercise is a massive thing. And I, like so many people, I have gone out, you know, into the world for the last couple of months and there are thousands of people because they're on, they're on my trails. Yeah. I have to go somewhere else because <laughs> my trails are so crowded while I wish everyone was wearing a mask because they're not and all of that, that aside, what I do think is a positive is that so many people are recognizing this is an opportunity to get in shape. Yeah. Do your push-ups and sit-ups at home, you know, walk around your neighborhood, be as safe as you can while doing it. You know, but the reality is, you know, that's not the way in general that the experts say that the likelihood of getting sick that way. I mean, you have to almost really try. You'd have to like yeah. get in somebody's face or them in yours. Use it. And this has always been the case in my life. And I mean, from the time I got sober, even when I wasn't sober in my 20s, yeah. this, was, this was a thing that I believed. If I felt good physically, and as, a, as an addict, sometimes that meant that I would binge for two or three months, but then I would actually clean up for two or three months. And the rest of my life would be crap. I'd have no yeah. job, my relationships are a disaster, all of that. But if I felt good physically, everything seemed doable. Every, the world was all about possibilities. And if I felt yeah. bad physically, it actually didn't matter how much money I was making or whatever success I was having. I actually didn't, I didn't feel good about it. I didn't enjoy it the way I could. So yeah. I do encourage people to use this time to be, be smart about it, but this is a time there's a million free classes online. If yeah. you need somebody else to take you through it, um, you can reach out to me if you want to know how to how to run. I'm not really a coach per se, but I'm a. I can tell you why you should run. I may not be able to tell you how to run, but um, yeah. I can tell you why you should do it. Don't always pick up the remote control. Pick up a book. Um, as a runner, you know I've told you before. I, I listen to a lot of books. So, you know, yeah. I listen to both Audible and audiobooks, and I, I love it. Do something that you're not accustomed to doing to help improve yourself. The goal shouldn't be to get to the other side of this and be the exact 
same person you were before yeah. you went into it. The goal should be to be different in some way and hopefully some positive ways. Yeah, perfect segue. I have a list here of the things that I wanted to talk about and we got through uh, one of them, which I I always love our conversations. Actually, we got two. Um, I always love our conversations and I, I hate cutting conversations short. It like yeah. is the worst feeling I have. But w- this is just gives us more room to do this more often. I do have three questions that I'm asking every single day on the I'm Curious to Know project here. The first question is, what's one thing that's been different for you during isolation that you want to keep once we go back to a new normal? Huh. Fascinating. That's, I don't know why that's a hard question. What's different for me? Okay. I do know. It is actually keeping in better touch with people who've been out of my life. You know, I have been in touch with a whole lot of people who are people that I always say in my normal life, you know, hey, I really need to give him a call or her a call or I need to be in touch. So what I want to do is to, is to do a better job of staying in touch because in yeah. some form, our lives are going to restart um, yeah. and they're going to begin to edge back to where we were. But that's one thing I'd like to keep. Yeah, that's a good one. It's, a, it's been a common theme around, you know, Brenda Martinez was uh, my guest yesterday. She's a US Olympian. She's super yeah. close to her family. They live an hour away and she hasn't been able to see them. So so being able to reconnect and not take him for granted, the fact that they're just an hour down the road for her was so, yeah. so absolutely. That's, that's a common one that I love. Second question. What's one thing that you thought was important before that you're happy to leave in the past? Oh man. And this is a funny one, given what we're doing right now, because <laughs> I have such a love hate relationship with it. And I, you're going to, you know what I'm going to say, and probably others have said it too. And that's social media. It's not something I've ever loved. I've, I've understood it's a necessary thing. And I do like to look at other people's posts and what they do and certainly follow certain folks. And I think there's a fair number of people who I do take a responsibility to say, okay, there's recovering addicts, there's runners, there's plant-based people out there who do care what I have to say. And it's my responsibility to a certain degree um, to do that. But I, but I actually, you know, I'm in a phase right now, actually, where a couple of weeks ago, I finally just said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. I don't feel good most days. You know, I'm not, it's okay just to let that go for a little while and not feel like I'm somehow not relevant because, um, yeah. because I haven't done a post today. It's interesting what you said that you have a responsibility and I, I don't want us to, to, to go too deep into it, but I would, I would respond that um, your responsibility is just to be yourself and people will find no a way to yeah. learn and, and you don't, you know, you don't have a responsibility to show up for them when you're not interested in showing up at all. So yeah. leave that one in the past, that feeling of responsibility. I appreciate that. That means a lot. And, 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 you know, the thing that I do is I, you know, this is part of my recovery. You know, I always respond to a direct message. I always, there's never a time that somebody reaches out and they have a question about, in particular, about addiction or recovery, whether it's for them or someone else they know or love um, that I, that I don't respond, but that's actually the good part. That's a lot of the reason that I'm open about all the other things on regular social media is I, I want, people to feel like if I, if they think I might be able to give them an answer to something, then I, I love to keep answering those questions. And you do a good job. And I, I don't want to downplay yeah, the role that you take that. in that, in the community, but for you to well, carry right, that. Though, my responsibility is to be real. 
And yeah. if I'm not feeling it, look, we all fake it once in a while. And I don't just mean on yeah. social media. Part of life is going to work or being in a relationship or anything else. And some days you just feel like, oh, we act from responsibility, which is a good thing. It's a good human trait to be responsible and loving. Yeah. And just because we feel lousy doesn't mean we have to take that out on other people. If you don't ever address that and sort of be real and especially um, publicly, yeah. like I, I don't ever, I'm never shy about sharing my struggles because I know mm -hmm. that in fact, that's the thing that I have in common with every single person on the planet. Uh, you and I have talked about it before, but I think sometimes when you see these uh, people who are famous and they have this social media presence and they're out there and they're posting all the time, it almost feels like they become a bit of a character tour of themselves. You know, there's yeah. the real self and then they have this character that they portray to the world. That would be exhausting. That would, oh. you know, And I think that's what you're describing is that feeling of having to show up and be a certain character or personality on social media just to kind of keep people to stay relevant. Sort of I'm the definition of insecurity, right? I mean, if you actually aren't sharing things that are real and yeah. that you actually feel, you're just simply creating an image of pseudo personality that you have. Well, I don't, I actually don't understand that even yeah. a little bit. Like that's, well, yeah. that's like the definition of the biggest waste of time ever. I think you're right. I also think there's an element of it. If you're a performer. So I look at it as, you know, you've got your stage name and you're a performer and that's what you do yeah. and that's how you make totally. a living, then 100% do that and do what you need to do. But regular, let's call it regular folk like you and I, we don't have to do that. We can be real and we can be still relevant and interesting and responsible and all of those good things just by showing up as ourselves. Whenever I'm speaking to a brand, and this is the final thing I'll say about it, if I'm talking to a brand that, you know, I, I love their product and they want me to represent it in whatever way that is you know i make it very clear to them that i'm i can really only be myself me if i'm actually willing to share a product at all which you'll yeah. almost never see me do but if i'm willing to share a product it means that i believe in it or i guess you know i'm, I'm subject to you know if somebody paid me enough i always used to make the joke <laughs> that if hefty garbage bag would pay me ten thousand dollars to like wear a garbage bag in an ultra marathon hell yeah i would do it <laughs> Yeah, if Mr. <laughs> Mr. or Mrs. Hefty is watching, there's a, there's an offer you can't refuse, right? Exactly. <laughs> but you know, but I think that would be pretty pretty transparent, and I, I think yeah. that in general, it's important to be you know be true to beliefs and voice your opinion, you know, within reason. Final question: What's been the most memorable moment you've had? Perhaps it's joyful, perhaps it's not. The most memorable moment you've had during this isolation period? Easy. Easy, easy, easy. And that is actually um, pulling back up in front of the emergency room on Thursday and yeah. gathering up my wife. And, and, and like, as we drove away from the hospital, I actually did feel like I just robbed the bank or make your own yeah. analogy. But like I, I, the wheels had turned in my direction in the biggest way. And, you know, I just, I, I knew that that day I wasn't going to have to come back and sit here in my house like a lot of other people are right now. And I, I, yeah. I feel so much for them, you know, knowing that their loved one is alone and isolated in some really difficult place. For me, no, no memory can uh, top that one. Beautiful, beautiful way to end it. Um, Charlie, as always, this is I love, I love our conversations. I really do. I look forward to them. I feel like we should 
uh, find a way to to have them more often. I appreciate you joining this this project. Um, it's exciting for me. I, you know, I'm going to try a few things. Like tomorrow, uh, we're going to have a friend of mine, good friend of mine, uh, Noon CEO Kevin Rutherford. Um, him and I have great conversations as well. We actually we just talk business, we talk ideas, we throw around a bunch of stuff. So that's what we want to do tomorrow. We want you to listen in on a business call, basically, and talk. You know, us talking about the challenges we each face in our business and the opportunities and how the current circumstances are and how he's leading a team through the current issues that we're all facing. So that'll be an interesting, fun conversation. If anyone is listening to this and they can't catch these live, we will be sharing them on the Inner Voice podcast uh, the next day. So tomorrow it'll be ready to go. Uh, I've got a great team behind the scenes helping me pull all this together, um, all the social media and all the producing and editing and all of the stuff that happens to to keep us on track here. So Charlie, once again, you're a legend. I appreciate it, mate. It's been great to have another conversation with you. My pleasure. I'll be tuning in tomorrow for sure. And Check it out. you know, let's do this again soon. Thanks so much for listening. I know we'll definitely be having Charlie back on the show in the future. And I appreciate the opportunity to hear and share his story today. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure you go and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. It will help like-minded endurance sports enthusiasts like you find the show. Also, make sure you tune in daily throughout May as I bring you more conversations from amazing humans in the world of endurance sports. You can catch these discussions live every afternoon at 3.30pm Eastern on the innervoice.life Facebook page. Thanks again for being here. I'm your host, Travis McKenzie, and this is the Inner Voice Podcast.